We just thank you for Brother Roger and his willingness to share this morning and be asked to uh, preach and share over in Idaho. Lord, I just pray for anointing upon him. I thank you for his willingness, Lord. I pray for every uh, your spirit to be with him. Bind every spirit that's not of yours. Lord, that you would uh, bind the raven of hell, so to speak, Lord, that wants to take away. Lord, I just pray that he would just feel the love of the brotherhood back here behind him and supporting him in prayer and their thoughts, Lord. Bless him, Lord, and keep him in your care. Surround him, Lord, by your spirit and your angels as they drive these many hours, these many miles, Lord. Lord, we just um, ask that your spirit would come and meet with us this morning. Whatever is shared, Lord, that we could apply it to our lives and put it in our hearts and, Lord, just try to live a deeper, meaningful life with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Thank you. Well, thank you for coming this morning. Thank you for those prayers. That means a lot because uh, I need it. I'd like you, we heard about a shipwreck this morning. If I was to ask you what the most famous shipwreck in history is, I suppose many of you would probably say the Titanic. Imagine with me a moment that you have this picture of the Titanic. It's late at night. There's a big crunch. They've hit an iceberg. After a little while, they start to feel the ship is beginning to sink. There's a girl on that ship. She's 13 years old or so. She came with her mistress. Her mistress was a very rich lady and, and with, with her husband. They were there on this boat. That's how this girl got a ride on the ship was because of her rich uh, employers. And um, they go out on the deck and they realize this thing's going down. And so they start to fill the lifeboats and they uh, see there's not going to be enough lifeboats. So they start to make some decisions. They say women and children get to go first. And uh, so a few of the lifeboats go and we're not, you know, the, the girls there with 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 uh, her, uh, the, you know, this man and the woman and the man figures he's probably not going to get to go. But after a while, they get the new, the notice. Hey, you, you get to go next. The next lifeboat's going to be in about uh, five minutes here. Um, and the, and, and the, the, the lady, her employer says to this girl, says, go back to my room and, uh, and get for me a couple things. There's a, there's a water flask. We might need that. Bring that. Bring, there's also one extra life, uh, uh, life jacket. Bring that along too. And, and while you're at it, grab my jewelry box. Okay. Quickly go back to the room and get these things. We're going to get on the lifeboat here in five minutes. And so this girl, she goes back through the Titanic, the most luxurious ship of its time. And she goes through an area she, she hadn't been in before. It's this big stateroom, this ballroom where, you know, they, it has a dining room part of it there where, where there's just, she, she's never seen such luxury before. As she's walking through this room, she sees the leftover supper still sitting there. And she says, wow, that looks good. She looks at the chandeliers. Well, by now they're kind of hanging a little crooked. But, you know, the, these fancy fixtures. And she's just amazed and she stops and she looks. She looks at the chairs sitting along the side. She says, wow, that would be nice to maybe sit in one of those chairs. And uh, she, she's tempted and, and she's looking around at this, this. And she hasn't made it back to the, the, the cabin yet to get the, the stuff that she's supposed to get. And she's just mesmerized by the luxury around her. But then all of a sudden she remembers. The most important thing that she ought, she ought to remember I'm on a sinking boat right now. This thing's going down and many people are going to perish. I may escape. I may not, but I might. But the boat's going down. 
and many will die. Sometimes we're going through life, especially we've got a nice day like today. We've got, you know, good smelling food in the kitchen and coffee brewing. And, you know, we forget we're on a sinking ship, but we are. This world we're in is going down. This world we heard already is going to melt with fervent heat and many will perish. And we could be among the people who have sat here before who were once in the lifeboat are no longer in the lifeboat. And that's these are some of the thoughts going through my mind as I was asked to speak over in Idaho on this on this men's weekend, the purity weekend. How many have perished and are perishing because of this uh, because of not dealing with the subject that we're going to be talking about seriously and many other subjects, too. It's not the only one, but this is one that that we're, that we're going to talk about. I know we've prayed. You've prayed for me. Let's pray again. Let's just bow where we are. Father, we come to you once again in the name of Jesus. And I'm asking you, God, for your anointing and your protection and your power, knowing the stakes that that we have here. We have souls, eternal souls, and we're on a sinking ship. This world, Lord, but there is, praise the Lord, a lifeboat. There is eternal life in Jesus Christ, who is not willing that any of us should perish, but all that should come to repentance. And so, Lord, we we come to you and we lay ourselves before you and we ask you for your help. We ask you for your mercy. We ask you for your guidance. We ask you for protection from the enemy once again. And Lord, I pray that this protection would follow us all through this service, all through this afternoon, this coming week, this coming weekend. Everyone who goes, everyone who stays. We pray that you'd be over us now. Thank you, Lord, for your promises. Please help us in Jesus name. Amen. You uh, many of you have taken part with us in the purity meetings that we have here. Every couple months or so, uh, one of the last ones was uh, it was it was a teaching by Robbie Zacharias. Some of you were here, ladies, you weren't here, so we'll tell you about it. But it was it was a good teaching. He's a, he, he was a powerful speaker and he talked about some of these issues of purity in uh, in, in very meaningful ways. It, it, it spoke to people's heart. He talked about integrity. That was one of his the, the things he was known for was integrity. You know, and he would he would uh, he, he would quote, you know, he says, you know, you don't know me in my private life, but God does. And so live your life in such a way so that that, uh, you know, when you get to judgment, you'll hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. That, these were some of the things that he would say in his teaching on integrity and purity and so forth. He would counsel people who were caught in immoral uh, sin. Well, this past year, he died, got cancer, just a few months to live. And sure enough, within just those few months, he did pass away. And, you know, of all the shocking things that happened in 2020, there were things in politics, there were things with pandemics, but I think probably the most shocking thing was when I heard that Ravi was not the man that I thought he was. There was an investigation. There were things that came to light after his funeral that he was involved in immorality himself, deeply involved in immorality. Uh, he had a he had a phone that was the ministry's phone. He took phone calls on, but he had a separate phone. And on this separate phone, he had lots of pictures, illicit pictures, women. And uh, there was testimonies of various women who had been abused by him. 
Uh, he had even silenced the few who had confronted him during his life. But now these things are coming out after his death. And I listened to those as I heard that and as I read it, it's just it kind of it, I'm still numb about it. I, I'm not sure what to do with it. It's 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 shocking. And the subject that I was assigned was this thing of purity and leadership. There are two subjects that we're going to be talking about over there, purity and leadership, purity and in, in adversity. And, you know, as I started thinking about these leaders, I, I looked at Robbie's life. He wasn't the only one. I remember going to, or maybe we had some videos here of, of Bill Gothard seminars years ago, very helpful seminars talking about strongholds, including things of lust, but including things of bitterness, including issues of rebellion and speaking to youth and just powerful teaching. And then to find out he wasn't living a pure life either. He was doing some wrong things. I remember, you know, we get newsletters from another organization, Voice of the Martyrs, and it was scary what they would talk about as they go into these other countries where there's persecution and the government is after them. And then I heard that the Voice of the Martyrs president, Tom White, had died. And immediately what goes to my mind is some Chinese communist, North Korean, somebody bumped him off because they were mad at what they were doing with Christians. It turned out that wasn't the case. That wasn't what happened. He wasn't killed by someone else. He was killed by himself. He was caught in sin. Uh, and it was with an underage, you know, abusing somebody underage. And so there were legal issues involved. And he rather than face those legal charges, he just chose to kill himself right there on Voice of the Martyrs property. It shook the organization like 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 nothing else could have. And various other leaders, there's, you know, Doug Phillips of Vision Forms, Bill Hybels, Willow Creek Community Church. And and, and they're, you know, big church, big organizations, big, powerful preachers, in fact, even powerful in the way they could counsel other people. And yet they fell into sin. Leaders. And of course, that's in the non-Catholic world. You get over to the Catholic world, then you have all these stories of the priests abusing children, and there's still ongoing, you know, problems with that. And so you you have uh, you, you have this this epidemic of sin. There was a seminar, a big uh, a big gathering of preachers. I'm not sure if it was from one denomination. It seems like it was interdenominational, many denominations that came together to this pastor's conference in, in, in some city that wasn't overly large so that when these pastors came in, it really swelled the population of the city. They stayed in various motels and so forth as they were as they were um, attending the seminar. And somebody did some tracking on the Internet use during the time of this conference and the visitation of pornography sites just skyrocketed right during this weekend. No other reason other than a whole bunch of pastors had come into town. This is the epidemic that we're living in. This is the sin that we're living. The name of Christ is being blasphemed as a result of these sins. And so, you know, when I think about the, this problem of, of leadership and, and purity, it's... Um, I think of, well, I'm going to be talking to a group of men over there. Not all of them are going to be preachers. Some of you will be going, hopefully. And yet I want to say this. I want to say that men, if we're what God wants us to be, we're all leaders at some level, or we will be. Probably all are all already. But for sure, we're going to be leaders in our home. We'll be leaders in our workplaces. We'll be leaders in our youth group. 
maybe even just of our siblings, maybe a future home, but we are all leaders. And so as we think of what is God's will for us as men, and especially whatever capacity of leadership that we are in, listen to these verses. You can turn to this if you want. First Thessalonians four, three to eight. I'll be reading here. I think this is a new King James I'm reading from. It says this. If he, uh, again, it's first Thessalonians four verses three through eight. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. I appreciated whoever organized these meetings next week in acknowledging that there are special situations that are difficult to deal with when it comes to purity. There's the, the normal challenges that you could say every man faces, and I've never been a woman, but I'm sure women face as well. Um, this is a men's conference, so we're going to be especially talking to the men, about the men, for the men. But even within the groups of men, there are some special situations. Some of them I've experienced, but many of them I have not. I have experienced singlehood. That's, I've been through that. I know what that's like. I know it's difficult. I've also been through young married life. There's special needs in young married life, you know, with young children and so forth. Now I'm in another stage, I guess middle age, they tell me. Um, not sure. They say, I, I don't know, maybe the gray in my beard. People who can see the back of my head say I'm going bald. I don't know that for sure. I've never seen it, but um, maybe. Anyways, I, I guess middle age, whatever challenges are there, I can relate to. I've, I've been there. But I don't think I quite qualify to say I know what it's like to be in the challenges of old age. At least I hope not. Uh, but I'm sure there. But I know there's challenges there. Um, there's challenges if if I would ever be hit with widowhood. I haven't, thankfully, but some have. And there, I know there has to be challenges there that I, I, I don't know. I can't quite imagine the challenges, you know, especially in this Era, including, I should say, this area of purity. What about health problems? Me having health problems or my wife having health problems. That would have some special challenge. What about marriage problems? There's conflict. You're just not getting along in your marriage. That would have some special challenges. Um, adversity. This is one that was assigned next week. The, the other speaker, a man from back in Michigan, he's going to be talking about adversity. Adversity presents some special challenges. People go through painful circumstances including some we've talked about, but maybe some others, maybe financial issues, maybe rejection. Maybe there's pain in their life and they're not getting along with maybe there's church problems. That's adversity. And people become susceptible to temptation when adversity comes more susceptible, more susceptible than perhaps even somebody who's just, you know, just living a normal life. Uh, you know, just everything's going the same as it has for the last 10 years. I got a call from a young man on the, on the billboard line the other week. Call him Oscar. Oscar grew up in a Christian home. He was 
he wanted to be a godly man. His parents and his siblings, they were godly. He wanted to be godly. He he grew this church he was in. He met. He had a girlfriend. They 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 courted for over a year. They had high hope. He had high hopes of getting married to her. But for whatever reason, she decided to call off the courtship. And this just devastated him. And he didn't know how to handle it. He didn't take it well, obviously, because soon he felt and his people around him didn't know this, but he fell into pornography and uh, whatever else he was into. But he says, I've been living an ungodly life for quite a while. And he admitted that he knew what he knew what godliness was. He knew what ungodliness was. And he admitted, I've been living in ungodliness. But by the time he called me, he said, I want he wanted to come back to God. He wanted to be free. And he was uh, he was he was reaching out for help. And I encourage him. Don't don't stop with me. Be sure to go to your own pastors, your own preachers and and talk to them. You know, get, get this out in the open. And I, but I just gave him two truths. I said, Oscar, there's two things you need to know if you're going to. Get free. If you're going to achieve victory, there's two truths. I want you to be absolutely sure you know before we hang up this phone. Number one, it is possible for you to be free. Many others have been where you are right now, and today they're free. You can be too. It is possible. Truth number two, it will not be easy. And again, that's also testimony of others. It will not be easy. You, you, it is possible, but it will not be easy. Those are the two truths you need to know. And maybe that sounds hard. Maybe that sounds, wow, that's, that's too bad. But actually, as, as I've you know, read other counselors and their, uh, their writings, you know, as they help other people, they say it's actually a good thing that it's not easy. Because what you fight for the hardest is what you're going to value the most. And uh, so, you know, there could be some people, and there have been. God has set him free immediately from temptation, not just sin, set him free from temptation in certain areas, temptation in alcohol, temptation in, you know, drugs of some sort. God is, you know, when they get born again, they're immediately there's no temptation. They don't even want to go do those things. But usually there's some areas, at least the temptation is still there and the temptation is still strong and there's still a battle. There's still a fight. And often this will be one of them, this thing of immorality. So we're talking about these special situations, you know, singlehood, widowhood, adversity, um, health problems. But here's the one we're talking about this morning, the thing of leadership. So what special challenges are there in leadership? And uh, by the way, I am assigned two messages over there, and I'm only going to give one message here. So we won't cover everything. I'm giving you kind of a, uh, an, an overview but uh, there'll be more I share over there because it's going to be two messages instead of one. But what are the special challenges of, of leadership? Well, I, I thought of a few of them. Number one is just the extra interaction that leaders have with other people, especially people could be especially people of, uh, of the opposite gender. There could be this issue of admiration. You know, oh, wow, you, uh, you know, you're the preacher and, uh, th- th- you know, they lift you up, put you on a pedestal. And, you know, that admiration can can be. Well, it presents a snare, presents a, a, a temptation. How's the, there's a verse in problems. The, the praise of man brings a snare, something like that. The issue of trust. Ravi Zacharias, they trusted him. People trusted him after everything he had said, like no one else. And trust feels good. Sometimes trust, if you don't have much trust, maybe it can even be an, a, a motivation for righteousness. But often it can also be a trap. If people trust you, 
and you feel like they're trusted and they allowed him to go travel into far, you know, countries and get a motel all by himself. And and uh, they trusted him. It presented a temptation. And at some point he fell. And again, I don't know the whole story. I don't know what exactly was the first step. But but that's an issue. Added stresses of leadership. People who are in, especially I think we, we you know, we think of leaders in churches, but it could be leaders of organizations, could be leaders in your workplace, could be leaders of whatever, you know, whatever arena you're in. But there's stress that goes with it a lot of times. And that stress can open up doors for temptation. There's the challenges of, you know, just once a person does fail to open yourself up. If you're a leader, you say, wow, people are trusting me. And if I would confess that I've done something wrong, who else I can hurt? In fact, that was another thing that Robbie brought up to, to women that he was involved with. He'd tell them, you don't dare tell anybody what happened because people will lose their souls because I'm a preacher that talks to, you know, I'm a preacher that tells other people to get right with God. And so if they'd find out that I did this, it would maybe send them to hell. You don't want to be responsible for that. And so they, they didn't talk. And uh, so he knew that this was an issue. Um, and, and then on top of all of that, we have just the added attack by Satan. Satan himself knows if he can bring down a leader, He's going to affect a lot more people than if he brings down some nobody, somebody who isn't a leader. And uh, so all of that put together means there are special challenges. And I would love to be able to stand before you right now and say, you know what? I'm here to tell you how to deal with this because I've dealt with it now and I, I, I've, I've overcome and I'm, I'm victorious. And, and therefore, I'm going to tell you how to do this. I'm, I'm through the battle. And so I'm going to tell you guys how to win the battle. I wish that was the case, but it's not the case. I really can, you know, relate to those words of uh, that, that we sing that song last, you know, up in Albany last week. Come thou fount of every blessing, but prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. You know, and I feel that in myself. I feel the, the, the temptations, the drawing power of of sin. And, uh, you know, of course, people have changed that song. I think in our purple books here, it says sore temptation. Lord, I feel it. Pass, passion seeks to steal my love. And so this is a battle that I come here and I say, we're in this together. This is a this is a this is a challenge that 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 I'm here with you in this temptation. Let's turn, if you would, in your Bibles, Proverbs chapter seven. There is a word picture here written by Solomon. Of this issue of. Of sexual temptation and the warnings. I remember when uh, my friend Steve Steve Zare was running a warehouse and one of his employees had made a commitment to Christ. Uh, it was it was kind of an amazing thing. But he had friends that were not godly, and one of these was a was a was a girl. And he really felt one time that after he'd made a commitment to Christ, he had to go take this girl somewhere, uh, take her to the airport or take her to I don't know. But it was a temptation, obviously, Steve. He warned the guy, he says, I don't think it's a good idea to do that. Oh, I have to. I can't get out. Well, okay. He says, if you have to, here's my counsel. Go read Proverbs 6 and 7 immediately before you get in the car with her. And so we're not going to read Proverbs 6. You can if you want to. It'd be good. But uh, let's read Proverbs 7. My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live and my law as an apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers, write them upon the table of thine heart. Say to wisdom, thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman. 
that they may keep thee from the strange woman and from the stranger which flattereth with her words. For at the window of my house I looked through my casement. And behold, among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding, passing through the street near her corner, and he went her the way to her house. In the twilight and the evening, in the black of dark and night, and behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Now she is without, now in the streets, and lieth wait at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him, and with an impudent face said unto him, I have peace offerings with me. This day I have paid my vows. Therefore... Came I forth to meet thee, diligently seek, diligently to seek thy face, and I found thee. I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, and with carved works, and with fine linen of Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, and aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning, and let us solace ourselves with loves. For the goodman of the house is not at home, he has gone on a long journey. He hath taken a bag of money with him, and will come home at the day appointed. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her straightway, as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart strike through his liver, and as a bird hasteth to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths, for she has cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down in the chambers of death. I wonder if you would pick out of this passage the two key words that are the that sum up the entire passage. Oh, I, I wonder what it would be. I could go around the room and get. But here, here's as you're thinking of that, what two key words sum up this entire passage? Here's the two that I picked out. Verse 23, knoweth not. I think the entire passage is summed up in those two words, knoweth not. This man did not know the cost of what he was getting into. And that's how these kind of sins are. That's how the devil is. Now, Solomon, who wrote this, he had seen a little bit of the effects of this because his own father, David, had fallen into adultery. And he knew some of the cost that it cost David, his family, the kingdom. So many people were affected. Uh, Uriah, Bathsheba, her children. Uh, it was there were so many people that were affected by David's sin. And so Solomon, he warned strongly about these uh these, these types of sins. You know what the sad thing is? Just like Robbie Zacharias preaching to others and later fell away. What happened to Solomon? He also fell away. And it was also temptation presented by women. Now, he probably knew in his mind, whatever happens, I'm never going to commit adultery with another man's wife. What did he do then? He just took wife after wife after wife. So he had what? I don't know. Big number with lots of zeros. He had a lot of wives. And... They led him into idolatry and also it also cost him apparently his soul unless he repented at the end. You know, we can hope so, but we don't have a record of that for sure. And uh, so here's Solomon of the, the very preacher warning against sin. And yet he himself falls away. How much warning can we take from this story of Solomon? Paul. The apostle, he, he said in first Corinthians nine, twenty seven, he says, he, he says, I do some things because there's a danger. I, the greatest, we call him this. He didn't call himself this. I don't think the greatest apostle 
or one of the greatest apostles ever, one of the greatest missionaries ever. He said, there's a danger I could fall away. Here's what he says. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by less that by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Or I'll read it again in the ESV. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. How did Paul know that this was even a possibility? I think he knew because he read the story of Solomon. I think he knew because he read the story of David. I think he knew because he read the story of Samson and other people that were even heroes of the faith fell into sin. And a lot of times it was sexual sin. He, felt, he read about all these kings that lived good lives. You read through the books of Kings and they lived good, solid lives, you know, honoring God for three quarters uh, of their life or more. And then at the end, they got lifted up in pride and they fell away. And then they were even rebuked by someone. Someone came to warn them. Hey, don't do this. This is dangerous. And they didn't take the warning. And Paul knew this. And so he said, I better watch out. The devil has his bull. He's got his, his crosshairs on me. I need to watch out because, uh, you know, I myself could be a caster. I myself could be disqualified. He knew these stories from the Old Testament. So much of our lives are today are about choices. We make trades. We have this thing and we trade it for that. Uh, just in the last month, there was some big news about uh, in the stock market. This this uh, company called GameStop, they had made some changes and they they weren't doing so well financially, but they. They started to um, they started to grow in their value because they changed leadership structures and this and that. And a lot of people were buying them. So, oh, wow, this is great. There were other people that were looking at the whole thing and said, no, that, <laughs> they're not going to do good at all. In fact, with the stock price going up, these other guys, these hedge fund managers said, I think we could make some money off of GameStop by doing what they call short selling. We're going to borrow stocks from someone else who has GameStop stocks, and we're going to sell it at the current price, which, whatever, it's 50 bucks. That's way too high. It's not worth 50 bucks. And so they did. And they borrowed and they sold, and they borrowed and they sold, and they just, they, they way, they, they, they sold more stock than what actually even existed. So they're borrowing it twice, some of the same stocks. Well, now what they're doing is they're promising we're going to buy this thing back. When the price goes down and we'll make money, we sold it at 50 three weeks ago. We're going to buy it at 30 and we'll make $20 a share. That was their strategy. Uh, perfectly legal, but it's very risky. So a bunch of people on some social media platform got wind of this, that a whole bunch of people had sold this, uh, sold this stock without owning it. They said they're going to have to buy it back someday. Let's force them to buy it back right away by running the price up. So all of their buddies, and you know how much social media is, everybody gets together. And, you know, if you've got a million people, each of them with 300 bucks, all of a sudden you got, you know, some money to make a difference. And so let's all bid this thing up. And instead of 50, it was, you know, 60, 70, 100, 200, 300. I don't know. It was way up there, three, $400. And all of a sudden, these hedge fund managers that were forced to, they, they, they had promised they're going to buy this thing, hopefully at 30, 30 bucks. Now they're forced to buy it at 300 bucks and they're just losing money hand over fist. And meanwhile, these guys on social media, they're just having a delightful time making money off of these big hedge fund managers. And, you know, as those people. Here's a question. I'm guessing that those managers 
that was going through their mind as they were losing money. One, one, one hedge fund, I think, lost 73, I want to say billion. Billion and million sound the same. I think it's billion, though. They, they lost a bunch. And uh, they, they lost a lot of money on this, um, th this, this stock. But I'm guessing here's the thing going through their mind. Why did I ever sell at such a price? Why did I ever sell at such a price? And I wonder if that same question goes through the mind of people who make bad decisions, not in the financial market, but in their spiritual lives. Why did I ever sell at such a price? Esau with his birthright. Why did I ever sell my birthright for a bowl of soup? That's silly. But he did. Uh, David with Bathsheba. Why did I ever sell at that price? That was a foolish decision. Judas, 30 pieces of silver, betrayed Jesus. Why did I sell at such a price? And it's the same way sometime with us men. Imagine this. Walking through a fair. You know what a fair is? They have all these booths or, you know, if you go through the fairgrounds, sometimes you have a, some kind of a show and all these different booths lined up and all they're, they're offering their wares. And you can walk through and you can say, look at everything that's available for sale. Well, here comes a young man walking through this fair and he sees a booth that says sexual pleasure. And he immediately is drawn to it. Wow, that's, you know, he, he's tempted. And he, he goes up to this booth after contemplating a while and finally asks, how much does it cost? He pulls out his wallet. And, uh, well, the person behind the counter, the world, the flesh, the devil, whoever that is offering this to him, says, uh, you know what? I'll tell you what, just the, uh, your clear conscience. That, that's all. Just, just hand that over and, and you can have it. Here's a, here's a bottle of as much as you want. And, well, he's, he's never really missed his clear conscience before, so he pulls out his wallet and, okay, fine, I'm not sure what this is anyway. He pulls this card out or a bill or whatever it is and lays it on the counter and he walks away with this sexual pleasure, illicit sexual pleasure. Maybe it's pornography, maybe it's everything else that's out there, fornication, it's prostitution, whatever, uh, homosexuality to some, and he leaves his clear conscience behind. And sure enough, it does bring pleasure. But then after the pleasure, there's this conscience that's, that's bugging him and it's making him miserable. And if, you don't, if you don't think this can make a person miserable, you ought to hear some of the, you know, some of the phone calls I get from people who have given up their clear conscience for some form of pleasure. And, and they're miserable. It, it drives people insane. It drives people even to suicide sometimes. And you'd think if, if there's anybody that... If the devil's lies would be true, if there's anybody that would be happy, it would be those people who are just filling their lives with all the pleasures of sin. But you know what? So many of them are not in the least bit happy. They're the most miserable people. They get they get a high, but then they go right back to it. And, uh, you know, they, they the misery of the clear conscience, they try to drown it with more sin. And finally, in desperation, this young man says, I've had enough. And uh, why did I ever take the first taste of this? Why did I ever sell my conscience at such a price? And so he goes stumbling late in the evening back through this fair to that same booth. And he says, this wasn't worth it. I want my clear conscience back. Well, the answer comes, you have to give back the pleasure. And he, well, that's hard. By now he's addicted to it. But he finally decides, okay, here it is. He lays on the counter. And they say, OK, but sorry, we can't give it back yet. There's something else you need to give up too. you need to give up your reputation. What's that? Well, look in your wallet. He pulls out his wallet. Oh, reputation. You mean everybody's going to know about this? Yeah, um, it's going to it's going to cost you 
any respect that you had with your friends, church members and whatever. Oh, he didn't know it was going to cost him that, but he finally decides, okay, you know, and maybe it's even more than that. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's finances for some, even a prison sentence. But whatever it is, it's for sure. You know, he, he for this man's case, it, took, it cost him his reputation, but he finally decided, okay, it's I have to do this. I have to have my conscience back. And he, he lays that on the counter and he walks away. He's got a long road, a long, hard road ahead of him. But finally, he has his clear conscience back. It was a good trade. But as he leaves that booth, he looks behind him and he sees more men lined up. Also there for the same reason. The next guy in line is a preacher. Suit, tie, big reputation, big ministry. He's also back there wanting his clear conscience back. And they said the same thing to him. You've got to give up your sin. Well, it's a struggle, but he says, okay. And then the same answer comes. You also have to give up your reputation. And that preacher pulls out his wallet. He looks in there and it's a big, fat stack of bills. What? How much of this do you want? All of it. And that preacher looks at that. He says, sorry, that's too valuable. He says, there's no way I can give this up. Do you know how many people would be here? Do you know what the scandal this would be if I'd give up this reputation? People would find out what, what I've done. And uh, he shakes his head. He puts everything back in his wallet. He picks up his sin and he starts to walk away. And the people in the booth say, hey, hold it, sir, hold it. Uh, there's, the price has just gone up now. Uh, it, it's going to now cost you your soul. You know, Mark 8 says, 36, for what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? But, you know, many people are making that exact choice. They're saying, sorry, I can't give up what you're asking me to give up. I have to keep my reputation. Another shocking thing that happened within the last year was a conversion of my brother-in-law, James. For years, he had been living in sexual sin. Uh, girlfriends, apart from his wife, pornography. You know, just this past month, maybe a couple months ago, he, he had said earlier, he says, I need to get right with God. And finally he did. And he confessed his sin and he repented and he laid it all on the altar. And today he is overflowing with the love of God. And the joy of God, the peace of God. He can speak clearly now. He had a it was it was he always had, you know, it was hard to talk to him, you know, kind of shifty eyes and just you know, couldn't look at you straight. And uh, people looked down on him. He wasn't a popular guy in his circles. You know what? He didn't have much of a reputation to give up. And he laid it on the altar. And he walked away. And, you know, I never thought. A year ago, if he would have told me by the end of this year, by the end of 12 months, your brother-in-law James is going to be saved walking with the Lord and Robbie Zacharias is going to be in hell. I would have never believed you. But that's I don't know. I'm following the evidence. Robbie had a reputation. My brother-in-law didn't. But today he's walking with the Lord. He died with his reputation pretty much intact. Robbie did. 
at his funeral were all the famous Christians. Uh, Mike Pence, the vice president, was there. Tim Tebow, the football player, was there. Other famous people, they spoke glowingly of Ravi. What a wonderful testimony he had. But someone else was listening. One of the women that he had abused. She says, I can't believe they're saying this about. I can't believe this is what they really believe. And she took it public. And it was even atheists that were helping her take it public. And at first people refused to believe it. But eventually they had to realize this was true. This was, these are true allegations. There's an article in Christianity Today. And in there is a quote by a man, Dan Patterson, who knew Ravi. He was the head of one of the of Ravi's ministry divisions. And here's what he said. He put this on Facebook. He says, I feel a profound sense of the fear of the Lord. Knowing that one day I, too, will give an account where, like the Ravi Zacharias report, everything done under the shroud of darkness will be made known. Jesus comes to restore justice through judgment. Oh, how I wish Ravi had repented here. Will that ever be said about any of us? Oh, how I wish that Ravi had repented here. Or how I wish that we had repented here. Luke 12, Jesus speaks to this. He says, there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, have no more they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we ask you for that gift of the fear of God, which is the beginning of wisdom. I pray, God, that you would instill us with that fear and let that fear guide our lives Lord, let it be a healthy fear, a fear that motivates us, that brings us into your love and mercy, that brings us to repentance, that sends our sins ahead to judgment so that we would not be like those who follow after. Father, have mercy on us. Guide us, we pray, through this. This day, this afternoon, the fellowship meal, guide us, Lord, just guide us into the fear of God, knowing Lord, that what has happened to others could happen to us. What has sins that have brought other people down can bring us down. But Lord, help us also to know that when we humble ourselves, your mercy is everlasting to those who fear you. And we thank you for that, Lord. And so we ask you for your mercy. Help us today, Lord, in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. All.